Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Our guest today is known as the rambunctious social entrepreneur. Jackie Berglund is the CEO and co-founder of Finnegan's, the first beer company in the world to donate 100% of profits to fund fresh produce for those in need. As the 11th largest Minnesota beer company, Jackie has generated over $1.3 million in impact. Finnegan's is the second longest running social enterprise business to donate 100% of profits right behind Newman's own brand. It's just Jackie and Paul Newman. And now with with the opening of the Finnovation Lab and her new taproom and brewery in downtown Minneapolis, she's helping other social entrepreneurs set up businesses designed to do well and do good. I'm so excited to introduce you all to Jackie Berglund. Oh, thank you so much, Allison. I'm so psyched to be here. Uh, well, let's just kind of start at the beginning. I'm really curious for you, what came first? Was it was it beer or was it the desire to do good or was it both? How did it happen? Yeah, so actually, I think I'm hardwired this way. I always wanted to make a difference. So going back to Augsburg College where I went to school, I was always trying to find a way of how do I leave the world a better place than when I got here. And I remember reading a Time Magazine article that had interviewed all of these people that were 80 and 90 years old. And, and in this article, they asked them, if there was one thing you could do different in your life, what would that be? And over 80% of the people said, I wish I would have taken more risks. Wow. And I remember taking that article out, hanging it over my bed and deciding I was not going to have that response when I was 80 or 90 years old. And and it was like, from there on, I'm like, I am going to go out there and I can, I'm going to do everything I can to leave this world a better place than when I got here. Huh. So what did you major in in college? Um, oh, it took me forever to figure out what the heck I was going to do. Um, I ended up being political science communications okay um and had absolutely no idea what i was going to do okay was business even a thought? i had marketing 101 is the extent of my business curriculum okay <laughs> did you like beer um oh gosh yeah oh okay. gosh yeah so you get out of school <laughs> with your degree you have this desire to take risks and make a difference where did you go so i ended up as happenstance would have it getting an internship at a company called antcore companies it was a search firm um that worked with startup Minnesota businesses that didn't have a human resource department. Hmm. So all these entrepreneurs. So I worked with Rollerblade. That was one of my first accounts. And oh, I must wow. have hired 20 people for them. Okay. And so yeah, this was, was in the heyday yeah, of Rollerblades? In the heyday. In okay. the, like way at the beginning. And so I got this exposure to these startup Minnesota companies and I worked with all these amazing entrepreneurs. Dennis Anderson was the founder. And it was here at Antcor that I met Kieran Fulliard, um, the founder of the Kara Pubs to Ginger's Whiskey. Sure. He became an advisor and dear friend. Um, and that's where I first first met him. And so I built this network of entrepreneurs and I thought, okay, this is really fun. Mm -hmm. But what I realized in this job um, is I was making good money. I was learning a ton, but I, I call it the inner itchies. I get this kind of scratch in my stomach when there's something missing in my work and there was no impact for me and no social purpose. Uh -huh. And it was here then that I, I, I listened to that. I took a year leave of absence. I sold everything I had, my car, all my stuff. And I moved to Paris, France to get my master's degree in international relations and diplomacy because 
I felt like when I was in college, I really was inspired to make a difference. And I'm like, I got to go back and find that feeling again. Huh. So and you were thinking the difference was going to be in politics or I in was thinking government like develop developing aid to countries in need. That mm-hmm. was kind of where I thought my dream job would be in an international organization helping these poor countries grow. Okay. Right? And so that was my whole focus, my thesis, everything. Did you love your time in Paris? Oh, my gosh, yes. It, at first year, super hard. My French was awful. Um, and then finally um, ended up getting an internship at the OECD, got my dream job at an international organization. And that was in the 90s when Russia was breaking up. So we were working with the NIS republics, the Baltic republics, trying to help them regionally develop. Mm-hmm. So I landed just like this great timing in this great space um, and super interesting work. And so then what brought you back to Minnesota? So I was there for five years and I started to get this thing inside again. The inner like, itchies yeah, in I get Paris? The inner itchies. Round two, round two. <laughs> um, and I learned to listen to it. That is something I've really learned in my career is that when I get that, it's like sit down with it for a minute. Uh-huh. Um, and what I realized was I didn't I didn't totally understand I was an entrepreneur then, but this was a big bureaucratic organization, 2,000 people in a secretariat from 29 different governments. I love the cross-cultural piece of it, but like there was no room for ideation, no room to go, okay, this really isn't working. How about if we think about doing it this way? You couldn't really do that, right? And a lot of the impact was at the grassroots level. I was more at this kind of policy level. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I need to be down there, get my hands dirty, rolling out my sleeves. And at the same time, I had a really bad back and I needed to get back surgery. So I thought, oh, I really want to go home to get that done. And so that was when I moved back in 1997. Mm-hmm. And my dear friend Kieran was opening the local. And he's like, Jack, look, we'll get you health insurance. Come work for me. Be my director of marketing. And we'll open this new pub. And I thought, okay, well, I have nothing else to do right now, so let's do that. And that's kind of how I landed um, in the pub business and ultimately the beer business. What did you like about the pub business? I was in love with opening something, starting something new from ideation. And Kieran is such a great visionary. Um, And he had an idea of what this thing was going to be. And to watch him connect those dots and rally the troops behind this is what we're going to do was so exciting. It was just so invigorating. And so I loved that. Then I knew this. I want to be an entrepreneur. What did you learn from him? Oh, he's a brilliant marketer. Um, he's he's a way bigger risk taker than I am, although I wouldn't say that now. Um, but back in the day, I thought, oh, I'm never going to be that crazy and do that, take that big a risk. But mm-hmm. um, I'm learning to kind of take some of those calculated risks and um, that you never give up. Mm-hmm. He's one of the hardest working people I know and has a very, very positive attitude. Even when the times are really tough, you still got to get up and get the boots on. So you seem to exude that kind of positivity. <laughs> I know. I blame Kieran. Yeah. Um, not the beer. Just Kieran. Yeah, right. Okay. So how long did you stay with the local and with Kieran? Yeah, so I was just... there three years. And again... Got this kind of itchy thing, and it was the impact piece again. And um, it was actually, it was at the local, I call it the spiritual home of Finnegan's, um, that we created the beer idea. And there were like three things that came together. A friend of mine said, you know, Kieran's such a local Irish celebrity. He could have his own beer. He could put like his, like Paul Newman and put his face on a beer. And I'm like, okay, like we don't have enough going on here, but okay. Um, And I filed that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I was out in Washington, D.C. and I heard Billy Shore speak. He's the founder of Share a Strength Organization, which is an anti-hunger group. And he was talking about his for-profit company, um, Community Wealth Partners, I believe it's called, and they do consulting work with nonprofits, and he used those profits to help fund some of his nonprofit activity. Mm. And I was sitting in the audience, and Allison, it was like my hair was on fire. 
I was like, that is exactly what I want to do. I want to have a for-profit company that is economically sustainable, that is going to fund the good in the world I want to do. Wow. And I came back and it was like, okay, and I think it was in a bubble bath. What if we created a beer? What if we gave the profits back? And, and kind of this whole ideation around that. And I pitched it to Kieran and Kieran's like, you're nuts, you're nuts. And um, <laughs> then we were in a meeting with the founder of James Page Brewing Company and Kieran said, okay, Jackie, two minutes, tell your crazy idea about this beer. And we pitched it and he's like, we'd love to make a beer for you, for your pubs. And that's how it started. It was called Kieran's Irish Potato Ale that we rolled out in all of Kieran's pubs. Wow. And was it was it a hit? Was Huge it- hit. So our Irish ale recipe, our flagship, is that original recipe. And we ended up having to change the name when I ended up paying Kieran a dollar for the rights to the beer company. And I said, you know what? If we really want to make a difference, we got to have this in every pub in Minnesota. And Kieran was like, you're more passionate about this beer than you are your job, Jackie. And I'm like, I know. I really want to go do this. Mm-hmm. So I wrote him a check to a dollar. He says he still has the check. Um, and started. How, how did you negotiate that? <laughs> I don't know. It's like my lawyer said, you got to give him something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did a token dollar. Um, and then I said, I'm going to go drive this thing. I'm going to go do it. So that was in September of 2000. Then I kind of jumped off the cliff um, to start the beer company. And how did you name it Finnegan's? Um, we were brainstorming for months trying to figure out what to call it. And uh, finally, we're doing research and trying to figure it out. And then we did role playing, standing at the bar at the local. Give me a this, give me a that, give me a this. And Kieran said, give me a Finnegan's. And we just looked at each other. It's like perfect. I love that you're role playing. Yeah, at we the role bar. play. That is, I'm telling you, brainstorming that is the way to do it. Uh-huh. Um, and he said it came to him from the James Joyce novel Finnegan's Wake, huh. which makes sense. Yeah, it's a great name for a beer, right? Absolutely, yeah. it's a great name. Um, so from the start, I'm curious, and maybe even when it was when you were still with the local, did people know? How did you market it? Because people are at a bar to yeah. order a beer; they're not thinking about social impact. Right. How did you? communicate that and do you think that was a factor in them choosing your beer yeah we for sure made and i remember the table tents and we made some rough graphics at the beginning but we made these table tents and said the profits going back to the community train the staff and you know and it, it was kieran's beer it had his name on it people mm-hmm. were like well, let's give it a try let's give it a try yeah. so it was really very grassrootsy um and slowly kind of the beer was good too of course if you're trying to save the world and the beer is crap it doesn't work well, right? right so the beer was really good save too. the world so, with good beer yeah always. you have to have good beer So um, that all worked out. And then we started to get this following and people really liked it. Do you think, because I mean, you were 2000, that was before... Toms and before oh, gosh, yeah. all these, you know, Warby Parker and all these, I think now we're so much more attuned to the idea of like one for one or a brand that does right. good. You were really ahead of that. Who were your role models at that time? And do you think that it, it was as relevant to people as it is today? Um, right. So these for sure were the beginning days of, and if you were to say social entrepreneurship back in those days, people would have no idea what you were talking about. Um, I, I was very inspired by Billy Shore and what mm-hmm. he had created and Paul Newman and Newman's Own Foundation. And I had read the Harvard study on Newman's Own and I'd studied a lot of how they did things and what they did and I just kind of started following the footprints. Um, And later I would become connected with the folks at Newman's Own Foundation and they become a huge mentor for me. Um, But back in the early days I was just kind of who's doing this and how can I learn from it? Did you ever meet Paul? Unfortunately, no. He passed Mm -hmm. in 2008 Mm -hmm. and I really got to know the Newman's Own folks more in like 2013. Um, And now they, Bob Forrester, the CEO, he's coming to visit 
visit here in the end of February. Mike McGrath from Numa's Own Foundation was just here for two days in December, helping me figure out some of my model and, you know, some of the things I'm doing. So they are so good at sharing best practices. And That's I just amazing. want to make sure I'm learning, right? Yeah. Why reinvent the wheel when somebody's been very successful already at doing it? Do they, does does Newman's Own, do they do that for other businesses or just for you? No, they do. There's a group, there's a cohort of 10 of us that are like the top 10, 100% donation model um, folks, companies in the country. And we just met in October. That is all out to their offices and a full day of kind of talking about best practices. How can we help each other grow? How can Newman's Own Foundation help grow these businesses that they've inspired? So they are very committed to that mission. That's so cool. Um, okay, so so you leave, you you write your dollar check, <laughs> you, you leave you leave the bar with your beer and this huge mission. Yeah. What do you do next? Oh my god, it was it was kind of madness. And Allison, to be very honest, I know business professors don't like it when I say this, but I didn't do any market research. I really didn't know anything about beer. Um, I was very passionate about the model, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I will figure this out. And so it was a matter of just starting to to work with distributors, going out and making sales calls. Here's my beer. Here's what we do. And Kieran's pubs were obviously very helpful because they're some of the top pubs in the Twin Cities. So I could say, XYZ pub, I'm at the local. So you had money coming in right away from Kieran's. So that did that help you fund it to get the beer made? Yeah. So I totally bootstrapped, right? So um, And I had no money. I started with $500 in a bank account. So there were no investors. There was no, you know, and I didn't draw a salary for three years, I think. Um, so, but what I was able to do was cash flow it. So it's like I would sell the beer to a distributor. They would sell it to a bar, restaurant, liquor store. I wouldn't have to pay my manufacturing bill until after the distributor paid me. So I was able to just kind of cash flow it that way. Okay. Um, did you, so were you, where were you making the beer? I mean, at that you... from 2000 to 2003 at James Page Brewing Company. Yep. And then in 2003, they got into financial trouble and it was really clear that, okay, if they go down, I'm going down. And so that's when Kieran contacted Mark Stetrude at Summit and said, Mark, will you talk to Jackie? You know, she needs to find a place to make her beer. And so I went and met with Mark and he's like, they really didn't do contract brewing. He's not a big fan of contract brewing, but he liked the mission and what we were trying to do. And he's like, I'll give you a chance. Hmm. This was, you were early also to the game of making beer in Minnesota, which has now become a very popular thing to do. I know. Would you ever have guessed? No. I tell you, when I started, there were maybe five or six breweries in Minnesota. Um, There was no Surly. No, gosh, no. There was no Abel. No. None of those So we would have Brewers Guild meetings, and I was always the only woman um, at anything beer related, and there would be five or six of us sitting at a table. Mm -hmm. A Brewers Guild meeting now, you need banquet halls, and only one person from the brewery can come because it's too many people. So, from, And are there women in the room um, now? There's a lot more, which is really exciting. And there's more women brewers, um, women that own their own businesses in beer. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting to see. Was that ever a thing? Did you feel like, did did you not oh. get taken as seriously? Uh, or you know was what? it hard? I never played that card. I just feel like you compete harder, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, and all my mentors have been men. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who've really supported me and helped me learn. So I'm I'm a big pro, pro-male guy, gal. <laughs> I don't care. It's like, yeah. let's just, uh, we're all, let's just make some beer. Yeah, let's make some and beer and compete and do our best. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, go back for a second to when you're set, you're setting up Finnegan's yeah. and are you setting it up as a nonprofit as a, what was the model? So originally I tried to set up the beer company as a nonprofit mm-hmm. and I was working 
my friends at Lindquist and Venom. They did all the um, work for me to figure out the paperwork for getting the 501c3. We sent it into the IRS. The IRS sends it back, and my lawyer said, Jackie, I've never seen more questions to an application in my entire life, Uh-oh. entire career. <laughs> so it was like pages, right? And um, so basically the net-net was is that to be a 501c3, your number one activity needs to be charitable. And my number one activity was manufacturing beer. Mm-hmm. So like you actually can't do that. So then we decided to set up a for-profit and a nonprofit, and that's similar to what Paul Newman, I followed his kind of, he started an S-Corp that owned his food company, and then he started the nonprofit company. So I did that. That's okay. exactly what I did. And were you, why 100%? I mean, you could have given 50%. That still would have been really nice. Why 100%? I don't know. It just, I think I, I really wanted to show that it was important and that that's why I was doing this, because it really was. Uh-huh. It's not like I was a big, passionate beer person. It wasn't. I wanted to create a model that was economically sustainable mm-hmm. that would do well and do good. And I think to really show that, you know, you have to walk the talk. And that was kind of what that so was. So you, you pay your people, you take a salary, and then all everything else. The yep, yep, everything else donated. goes back. And so we did that model through 2018. Right. Um, And what what I found with that model, Allison, is that long term, it becomes more challenging to make that call of what money do I invest back in the business to grow it as opposed to donating. Right. Mm -hmm. So every day you're walking that line. And are you being watched? I mean, did you have a lot of rules and regulations? Well, I have a board. I have a nonprofit board and a for profit board. Uh, But it is really a judgment call of the entrepreneur, isn't it? Right. You know, and I think it got to the point with all the competition. Right. I knew that if I didn't build a brewery, I was going to be out of business. I mean, that became really clear to me 2013, 2014. Just because the marketplace was getting more crowded? And because the taproom law had changed. So that now we had breweries that could sell beer in their, at their location. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the margin is. You don't have a distribution network in there taking a, 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 a sure. piece of it, right? So I, I realized that. And, and I knew that when I went to go do the brewery, I was going to need to change my model. Because now I'm going to be bringing in investment right? Investment dollars for working capital to grow this thing. And so that's when I consulted my friends at Newman's Own Foundation who helped me understand how to implement a licensing plan. So we have a licensing agreement now between Finnegan's Brew Co. and the Finnegan's Benefit Corporation. And so Finnegan's Benefit Corporation owns the IP, the trademarks, the recipes, and we license that to Finnegan's Brew Co. Mm -hmm. Which Which is is the for-profit. Yep. And the investor group, right? The working capital. Okay. And then they pay a royalty back and that royalty is what goes to the community fund. And that's how Paul Newman's company does it, the, the Newman's Own Foundation. So what it allows you to do is to scale your business and in the long run, donate a lot more money. Really? Yeah. But are you, how, how, do you, how does that make you donate more money? I'm just trying to remember. So my because you're selling way more beer. Right? Okay, just because so, you're able to work at a larger exactly, scale. Exactly, at a larger scale. And then as the royalty is based on the value of your business. Mm-hmm. So obviously Newman's Own Foundation has a larger royalty than I do. Um, but as you grow your business and it has more value, then that royalty becomes larger too. Did you take on investors when you went yes, to open your yep. tap room? Yes. And how, how I never you... had more than my $500 in my That was the first time. So you had gone, what, 16 years without any outside Yeah, dollars. we had a line of credit um, that we did pay off, and that's about it. Wow. Um, and, and how big is your staff? Um, we now how... have, so I was a mighty team of four um, before I, I started this whole thing. We have seven full-time, 18 taproom staff, and then we brew some of our beer down at Badger Hill. So we have staff down there that we brew in two places. So When you decided to take on investors, how did you approach that? I mean, you're not the typical, you know, just startup that wants to make as much as you can. You're not looking to go public. What did you, did you, was it 
did it have to be a really thoughtful process? Absolutely. And it wasn't easy. Um, and it's about finding the right type of investor and like-minded, right, that cares about the good and also, but they wanted to make some money. You know, they're getting a return too. Yeah. Um, but it's selling the dream that we're going to do well and do good, right? Yeah. And and it is a huge differentiator for a brand, right, to be able to say that you're doing these good things yes. and have this proof. And I think as we become more involved as human beings, we care more about this kind of thing. We want more meaning in our work and we want to be making choices that are conscious choices and value aligned, right? Do you notice that from consumers that, I mean, certainly there's more talk about that today. There are more, you know, new brands that are coming out of the gate with that sort of model. Millennials talk all the right, time about right? meaning and caring so much about the product and how it's made and all that. Is that helping you? I think so, or I think I probably wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think our business would have endured. I mean, it's pretty miraculous um, to be here after 18 years and starting with $500 on a bank account yeah. and no background in what we're doing. And, you know, it, it's been, I mean, I always say the Finnegan's is the brand that we have a million fingerprints on this brand. So many people have supported us from volunteering to buying the beer to saying, at my holiday party for my business, I'm serving Finnegan's. I mean, all those people have supported us over the years. And even though I don't have the biggest marketing campaigns and all that, you know, I, it has been, it has taken a village of, of people. And I think it is because of what we do in the community. Well, so talk about what your impact in the community. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what we do is we partner with the food bank in every state where we sell our beer. Mm-hmm. And we, we write one check to that food bank. They then, um, in Minnesota, we work with a food group. So I'll use them as an example. They have a network of 33 farms throughout the state of Minnesota. They're all organic farms. And we pay a dollar per pound to purchase produce, and that produce is then donated to a local food shelf in that community. So it's getting healthy organic produce to folks in need, and we're supporting the fa- the farmers with the dollar per pound payment, right? Mm-hmm. And so the food group, they call it the Harvest for the Hungry program. That is their program. We are the primary funder of that program. How did you pick produce? Um, for the first 10 years, um, we focused on um funding socially innovative programs around poverty for the first 10 years. At my 10-year anniversary, I had to do kind of an impact sheet of here, after 10 years of Finnegan's, here's the difference we made. It was like four pages long. And I'm looking at this thing going, oh, no, that nobody's going to understand. How do I do this, right? And I really knew I need to soul search. People aren't understanding where the money's going. We don't have a streamlined impact. And I saw this brochure for the Harvest for the Hungry program. And it said, we donated 80,000 pounds of produce last year. It, it was just, like, super succinct. And I called, and I, I said, I want to learn more about this program. I met with them, and I said, okay. I want to give this a pilot project. I love this idea. And then we started it. And then it was like this year we donated 80,000 pounds of produce. We turn beer into food. That's what we do at Finnegan's. And it was like when I did that pilot project, my distributors, my family, my friends are like, I get where the money goes now. I get huh. what you do. Yeah. You and simplify I it. simplified. I streamlined. And I can say it in one sentence. And now it's like, oh, at Finnegan's, they turn beer into food. Right. Boom. You got your tagline. 80,000 pounds of produce. Boom. Wow. That's amazing. How many states is Finnegan sold in? So we're in five. Uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Do you think about going beyond, or is that a good Oh, that's just fine. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it's really just fine. Um, and I think more and more people are, you know, all about local. Yeah. And even though we can compete in other markets as a local beer, because the profits do stay local, mm-hmm. and our giving is truly scalable, so all the beer 
dry cell in Duluth, goes to support a farm in Duluth, goes to a food shelf in Duluth, same in Brainerd, same in Mankato. So it's buy beer market, but that's a hard message to get across in Wisconsin, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a Minnesota beer, right? right? Right. So it's more challenging. So I think, you know, owning your own backyard and staying local is the way to go. So it's really like you're running two businesses or maybe more than that at this point. Yeah. We we'll, we'll talk in a minute about the, the tap room and all that. But is it you keeping track of the nonprofit side as well as the for-profit or do you have other people helping Oh gosh, you? I have so much help. And we have a board, a Finnegan's Community Fund board that has fiduciary responsibility over that nonprofit and the work that we do. I have a staff, Trisha Nelson, who really runs that and I volunteer my time. I mean, I'm involved in everything, but I, I try to stay a little bit up here, um, especially after this big, huge project we just launched. I got to be able to go up to 50,000 feet and see what this is all doing. Yeah. And then I have people kind of taking over the key pieces. What part of it do you enjoy the most day to day? Um, I would say I, the beer piece has gotten really fun. Yeah. I, I didn't used to really be that into it. And we have two brewers now that are just amazing. And I'm learning so much about beer and just, we've, we've created a hundred beers in 10 months that we put out in the tap room. What? Yes. A hundred <laughs> beers. Why? Why it's so, so many? Fun. Well, we want to show that we were the, we were the beer company that had three beers out. You know, yeah. three beers. And we wanted to show that we are we are resetting the button here. And this is kind of a reborn brand. And so we wanted to be powerful in our first year to be able to say that. Um, and we work with a lot of the local growers now that we support by purchasing produce. that so we use their ingredients in our beer. Mm. So that's kind of going full circle. And I'm really loving learning about that. Yeah. You know, using fresh mint and fresh, all these different things in beer. It's so fun. Um, so I love that. Um, the, the giving piece is, of course, I'm super passionate about the impact and, and just the work in food systems and the opportunity for us to really innovate in that space. I get very energized by that. And then the whole social business thing, you know, mentoring other social entrepreneurs um, and seeing what these young kids are coming up with. It's just so exciting. Okay. So that's something I would for sure want to talk about. So you decide, you finally, you raise the money, you you reset the business and you're going to open this, this, your own center. Finnegan's has a home, finally, yep. a brewery, a tap room. How did you decide to add the innovation piece? How did you decide where to go? Tell me a little bit about how all that came together. Yeah, so 2014, I was awarded a Bush Fellowship. So the Bush Foundation in St. Paul, Archie Bush, founder of 3M, Mm -hmm. um, they have a fellowship program every year where they fund you. I got a $100,000 grant to fund an idea. And my idea was to start the Finnovation Lab, to start a social business incubator accelerator program. And was that because you had been, did you have a lot of kids coming to you saying, I want to start a social impact business? Yeah, I really did. And also, um, we had... My first offices in 2009 were in the Hinkle Murphy Mansion in Elliott Park, and it was this empty mansion that was in foreclosure, and I talked the guy into giving me a deal on it, and I said, I'll fill this with social businesses and nonprofits, and um, and I did within a year, and that was where I saw all these businesses working in the same space, like all the energy, mm. in and, and the crossover, and we do happy hours on Fridays, and we'd share funding, you know, funding ideas, and, and I'm like, this is what should happen. Uh-huh. We need something like this. So that was where it was kind of born. Mm-hmm. And then I got the fellowship. And then as I was doing the Finnegan's house and that project was coming together with the tap room, I'm like, what if I lob this Finnovation Lab on the top? Right. So it's on the fourth floor of the Finnegan's house. So you've got your downtown Minneapolis. Yes. Yeah. Did you know you wanted to be downtown? I knew I wanted to be Elliott Park, that kind of that neighborhood. That's where our first offices were in 2009. And it is one of the most economically challenged neighborhoods in downtown Minneapolis, which is 
now in a great space. I'm You're developing. in the middle of everything. I just love it. I yeah. love that neighborhood. And now so, with the stadium. I mean, yeah. did, did you sort of see what was coming? I, I thought it was going to develop. I, I really wanted it to develop properly. You know, when they first did the dome there, they expected that whole end of town to develop, and it really didn't. And there was great vision on the East Town, Elliott Park area of saying, we really want a neighborhood. We really want a walkable community. We want a place where people can gather and get to know their neighbors. And so I signed on for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to be a part of that. And and the Finnegan's House is like one of the first big projects that started. We're early in. for There's so much more development coming. So I wanted to walk the talk of what we do, and I wanted to be a part of being a foundational builder of, of that community. So you've got your, your tap room, which is so cool. People should be going after Isn't work, it so sure. fun? You've got your patio, which I can't wait to yeah. be on when it gets warm finally. And then upstairs you've got a, a private a social club. Yes. Yeah, so the Brewer's Den is a private social club. That's on the mezzanine level, and I kind of lobbed that on there too. Why? As, as the ideation was going along. I just woke up with the idea. I wasn't sure. I, I wanted like-minded people to be able to join something. Um, and then the, the 75% of your membership is tax deductible and goes to support the Finnovation Lab. So I wanted every kind of floor to be giving back in some way. And I thought, what a cool idea if you have all these like corporate community members of this club, and then the fourth floor gets an automatic membership. So if you're a social entrepreneur and a startup entrepreneur, you get to be a member of the club too. Ah. So now we have this space for social cross-pollination, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I do think some of the best work gets done over a beer, you know, <laughs> or a kombucha or whatever it is. But, you know, people running into each other and it's like, oh, by the way, you know. Yeah. So that's what I was trying to create. And in the Finnovation Lab, is it just basically co-working space or are you mentoring? How does it work? Yeah, so we have co-working, we have private offices, we do a lot of skill-based mentoring. Experts are in, we have lawyers and different people come in and work with our entrepreneurs. We also launched a, a Fin Fellow program funded by the Bush Foundation where we have five social entrepreneurs that we are supporting from ideation stage for nine months, um, $50,000 stipend to pursue their idea, Wow! Um, one day of curriculum, one-on-one mentoring. So there is a very structured program, and we're going to be also developing an accelerator program to kind of help scale social businesses when they get to that next stage. What are you seeing today as you look around at, at all of these, you know, wannabe entrepreneurs? First of all, are they all young? Are they coming right out of school? Do they have life experiences like you did? What, what's what's the mindset? It seems like they're way ahead of the game to me, you know, and we had actually the St. Thomas Schultz Scholars over to meet our Finn Fellows and we went around and everybody introduced themselves and their ideas and there were like three or four kids that were in college and have already sold businesses. Wow. And I was like, wow. okay, I can't even get my head around that. I feel like such a loser. I know. I was like 18 years. <laughs> I'm a late bloomer. 18 years, I get my first brewery, right? I'm like, oh my God, this kid's, a, he's not even a senior. Why is that? Yeah. Why do you think it's it's changed? I'm sure every generation says that to an extent. Yeah. You see the kids coming up and you're like, gosh, everything's moving faster now. But but what is the, the change? I, I mean, I think technology is a huge thing. You know, we didn't even have computers, I don't think, until I was a senior. So, you know, mm-hmm. all of that, I think, makes things move a lot faster. Um, and I do think we're evolving. Right. I just think humans are evolving and that they're more like this than we were and thinking innovatively and connecting dots differently. And I think this this group that's coming up has a real strong sense of wanting meaning in what they do. I I definitely see that. Do you think we're going to get to a place where it's just a given that when you start a business, there is a, a, a social component to it. But oh, that's gosh, just yeah. the standard, not yeah. a, a category of Absolutely. I think down the road, there's not going to be an entrepreneur and a social entrepreneur. There's not going to be a business and a social business. I think those things are going to be intertwined. Uh, I think it's a matter of time. Because consumers will demand it or because that's just what humans want to do? I, I think both and. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's who we're becoming. And I think that we're going to 
keep raising that bar that we want to create healthy communities where we live and work and that we want to be a piece of making that happen in whatever way we can. Right. It doesn't have to be donating 100% of your profits, but in whatever that is, that there's something built in these businesses that serves the greater good. Is it more, I mean, on the one hand, I look at some of these newer, you know, startups that, that have a model to give back right from the start, and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, like, how are you giving when you haven't even made anything yet? On the other hand, I wonder, is it easier if you just have that mindset from the start that you're giving as opposed to being an existing business that's used to making all the money, and then you have to go back and give half of it away? What, what is easier? I mean, I think, I think probably... Boy, that's a hard question, Allison. I, I think both things are good, right? Mm -hmm. I think, and I think you have to do what you're passionate about. And if, if you are driven by this passion to make a difference, you're going to set up your business that way. It's going to be a core foundation, right? If you're already a business that's running and you're seeing all this stuff happening, you're like, I want to do something. I yeah. want to make a difference. But then going back and saying, okay, we're going to help bring this into the fold of our business mission, right? That that's a really cool path too. I think you have to do what's right for who the leaders and the visionaries are that are, that are running that. Do right? you see that happening? I do. Businesses going back oh, and rethinking and saying, gosh, we could be giving. I, I get as many of those calls, I would say, of say, you know, we just really want to look at how to do this, hmm. right? And I think for us in the Finnovation Lab, there's going to be a whole element of for us providing services of helping businesses that are already running of how, how can we create a socially good business, right? Mm -hmm. What what things can we do? And there's a lot of different ways to do it. A lot of creative ways, you know, and I'm all about do it in your wheelhouse. Don't go create something that you're not already doing. Build it right in what you're already good at and what you do. Sure. And find a way to figure that out. The the laws have changed since you started and the ability to be a, a benefit corporation, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yep. how much did that change the, the landscape? Well, so in 2015, the Minnesota benefit um, legislation passed. And basically what that means is is that you can pursue a social mission and your investors can't sue you, right, as, uh -huh. as a business owner. That's pretty much what that is. There's no tax benefit. There's no – so, see. I mean, it's important, but – I, you know, I was already doing my business for 15 years at that point. So I'm like, well, I might as well go do this. But, you know, sure. it, it doesn't. It really but change. it just it just says that you it does protect you in that way. OK. Um, is it more complicated when you're starting out to, to set up a business with the, the giving component? Does it just make it trickier or I more think, paperwork? Or? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially if you're doing a nonprofit along with it. That, mm -hmm. that definitely complicates. Um, and I think just figuring out your funding model and if you are going to go get investors, you got to the right. It's harder. It's harder for sure than if you just have a straight model of, you know, here's what your return's going to be. I think that's a lot easier and people get that. So the investor mindset needs to catch up to the entrepreneurial yeah. mindset. Yeah. And we're seeing more and more impact investors, they're called. Yeah. Um, although I haven't seen a lot of them. Really? I, apparently that's a big growing field. Um, so In Minnesota, do you think? Or uh, yeah, more does well, it need to start on the coast? And I, I mean, in? it's bigger on the coast for sure. But in Minnesota, I mean, I we are one of the most civically engaged states in the country. We donate more to um, the community than anybody else volunteerism is super high so we are kind of the perfect place to be a leader in this and i've been banging this drum for a minute now mm -hmm. um but we we just now need to connect the dots i think a lot of things have been siloed we tend to work in silos here mm -hmm. so part of the innovation lab and what we're trying to do is how do we connect this ecosystem because i know there's a lot of people that want to fund doing good in this community right i just haven't met them all yet <laughs> <laughs> i'm not they're sure coming. where they are where they're, are they're they probably knocking on the where door are the, they? they're I having a beer here. waiting for you right now <laughs> um what kind just real briefly what kinds of 
businesses are you seeing popping up in the Finnovation Lab? Are they also in like the food or drink space? Yeah, or? we're seeing some of that, and some of our Finn fellows. Um, uh, there's a really, really interesting one that is a, and and some of them are so technical. I'm not very technical, you know. They're kind of these platforms. They're all online, um, but it's for financial assistance for kids that need access to financial assistance, and it's a it's a platform where you can see how much funding they have from early grants or scholarships or whatever, and you can see where there's a gap, and people can come fund, our school can fund a gap for an individual, and it's really cool. And she's out there already talking to colleges and getting this put out there, and it's a brilliant idea, really brilliant idea. We have a gal who's making a face cream out of recycled coffee grounds. So that is like this environmental piece, you know, that is now being used in something that's healthy for your skin. It's, I mean, it's across the board. So it's not necessarily about giving money, but it's about recycling or the environment. Right, or... right. I mean, something for the greater good that's serving a, serving a greater good. Okay, very cool. Um, in general, do you advise young entrepreneurs that is it better to start out with the mission or with the product, or do you kind of have to have both? For you, it seems like that it was you were in right. the, the, the you were in the bar. It made <laughs> sense. You were thinking about beer, and then you were thinking about what you could do in the world. Right, right. Everybody I tell who comes to me and they want to do good, if that's what's driving them, figure out how to fund it. Look at your economic model first. I always say that. Number one, you can have that. You can want to make the biggest difference in the world, and if you can't make it economically sustainable, you're going to be challenged. Um, and I, I think you know we have, we have so many nonprofits in Minnesota, and I think there's a shrinking piece of pie for nonprofits to have access to capital, and that I think we're going to need to get more creative. So I always encourage figure out your economic model. How do you make it work? Right. And speaking of economics, like is it okay? You're an entrepreneur. You've worked really hard for a lot of years. Is it okay to enjoy a little bit of your success when you're always thinking about your mission? Yeah, I think it's super important to be a good corporate citizen. And, um, you know, at Finnegan's is something we're really aspiring to. And I want I want all my staff to make market rate salaries. I want them to have benefits. I want, you know, and I think we need to hold ourselves accountable to that. Um, and I think in the past, there's been a mindset of if you're a nonprofit and if you're doing good, you should make less than everybody else. And yeah. I absolutely disagree with that. Um, I think we need to att- attract top talent to this field because I think it's the wave of the future. And to attract top talent, you got to pay people. You know, they got to be able to make a living and they have to have benefits. And so um, I think it's really important. Absolutely. We're not Um, quite there yet at Finnegan's. We're working on it. I like that. I like that, though. I mean, it's good. And you've got to, it it just speaks to wellness in your whole life and being well-rounded. And if you want to do good, your life should be good, too. Right, right. right. It's it's okay to be happy. I think that everybody should be happy. (laughs) Be able to buy yourself some ice cream now and then, right? Exactly. Um, No inner itchies in the last 16 years? I was just asked that question last week at a speaking thing, and I couldn't answer. I, I think I'm... I'm so in the, I'm so in the eye of the storm of my first year in business that I don't, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't in your even, new business. Yeah, my new mean, business. Yeah. I mean, it feels like Literally. I started. I literally started a couple new businesses in the last year. Yeah, so that takes care of the itchies, right? That I'm so focused. Um, so I think in year two, and I would like to take some time off to just, I, I just need to like balance this out. And just see where, you know, kind of the litmus test of how am I feeling inside and what is this? Yeah. Well, we can't wait to see what you do next. (laughs) Hey, stick around. We're going back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business to get some practical tips that could help your business evolve and find its purpose. Jackie Berglund, thank you so much for joining us. So fun. Thank you, Allison. Cheers. And now, back to the classroom with our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. 
So how can you add a philanthropic element to your business? Well, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship Associate Dean, Laura Dunham. As you see more businesses focused on on mission and kind of having a higher purpose, it seems like we're seeing more of that. Sure. What What is your advice, whether you have an existing business and you want to add that intention or if you're just starting out today, what's the best way to approach it? Um, well, I think the first thing is that you don't add a mission as a marketing tactic. You know, your mission has to be something that you authentically care about. Um, it has to come genuinely from you. From For entrepreneurs starting at businesses, we often tell them that entrepreneurship is about solving problems that matter to you and creating value for others. So part of adding a mission to your business is being really clear about who you are, what you care about, where you want to make a difference, where you want to have impact, um, and then understanding how you craft a set of solutions that solve that problem for people and how you build a an organization that is built around that ethos. Um, so first of all, I think it's knowing where you want to make impact and then understanding who's experiencing the problem you want to solve and, and how you can um, offer solutions to them. Right. Right. Um, do you think it's getting easier today or, or more imperative for businesses to be thinking philanthropically or be thinking about something other than the bottom line and making money? Absolutely. I mean, among other things, we know that businesses have a huge impact on our planet and on our society. So um, it's probably always been something that businesses and their leaders should care about. But certainly today we're seeing a rising level of interest among consumers and employees. Um, it's much clearer, it's much easier through technology um, for, for individuals to understand the sort of ethos that drives a company. Um, and more and more consumers and employees are demanding to either buy from or work with a company uh, that they feel is actually having a positive impact beyond simply shareholder value. Right. And any practical advice for somebody who's thinking about their next big idea, creating the next Finnegan's or, or, you know, literally setting it up? Because it seems complicated when you're taking money in and you're giving money away. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's not just about giving money away. It is also about how you... Um, develop your business ethically so that you are thinking about the impact of everything you're doing on all of your stakeholders um, so that it's not simply about um, having a philanthropic arm, but it's about thinking more holistically uh, who's impacted uh, beyond my customers, beyond my shareholders, by the decisions I'm making, what kind of impact am I having on my local community, on the society, um, on other stakeholders and making sure that you are really mindful of that um, in how you operate and how you determine the choices that you're going to make and how you go to market. So um, in terms of how do you do it, you know, we saw certainly with Jackie, she just started with a huge passion. Um, we certainly know that entrepreneurs who are passionate about their idea are going to have more grit and perseverance. And then she went out and learned. She learned and she adapted to what she learned with regard to how she was going to really make a difference in the world. Right. You know, so um, start with who you are, start with what you know, what you care about, where you want to make an impact, and then do what Jackie did, which is to learn. You know, who are my customers? Who are my suppliers? Who are my, you know, where, what sort of channels will I need? Um, 
it made me laugh when she said she didn't do a business plan or market research, but in fact, everything she was doing was that kind of work um, to better understand how to actually start her business and get it up and going. She was out there talking to customers and suppliers and other entrepreneurs, and um, so she was learning and adapting um, as she was sort of on the ground starting her business. She did it intuitively. She did it intuitively, but she did it as a learner. Entrepreneurs have to learn. They have to um, put a stake in the ground with regard to what they think they're going to accomplish, you know, who their customer is going to be, what's the product or service they're going to offer, and how they're going to do that. But they have to be willing to do it. Jackie did, which is to be incredibly um, high energy, assertive, going out into the world and testing those assumptions and learning from everybody that they can, um, whether her assumptions are right and how she has to change them. Well, thank you. Great advice. Thanks, Dean Dunham. And thanks to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also go to tcbmag.com slash by all means for more information and to listen to the show. And hey, tell a friend while you're at it. On our next episode, we talk to Andrew Dayton, co-owner of Northcorp and founder of the Constellation Fund, a new data-driven organization that aims to fight poverty. I'm Allison Kaplan, and on behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Thanks to Brad Jacobson, John Sullivan, and Tom Forlitti from St. Thomas, as well as Sam Schaust and Ricky Hannigan from Twin Cities Business for helping to produce and engineer our show. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Thanks also to Senior Media Relations Manager Vanita Sakar and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for helping us to make this happen. Hope you enjoyed, by all means. By all means.